Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Let's put our hands together for Jesus this morning. God has been most gracious, most kind to us, and we worship him uh, for his goodness as he lifts us all up. Amen? Amen. Uh, For those who may be visiting with us, my name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Journey Hanley Road. And here at the Journey, our vision is to see our city uh, awakened to and transformed by the love of Jesus. So if you are worshiping with us, we invite you into that reality today as we seek to see the Lord bring revival, restoration, and refreshing to this place through the power of his spirit. Amen. I'm excited that we are together as we continue in our series through Ephesians. Um, And I'm actually today going to kind of dip in and out of Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians. Um, But before I jump into the message, um, I hope that you all got my email this week um, about the the nature and content of this message. Um, So I sent an email to the parents and to the church at large to um, give a heads up um, that as we have Uh, talked about marriage, and I've been walking through this series on marriage, uh, that today we will begin to focus on intimacy in marriage. Um, And so we want to get a parents a heads up so that um, if you have little ones that are are potentially in here right now, I would uh, really encourage you. um, If you have not had certain conversations with them, uh, to please take them to Journey Kids or put them in a hallway, earplugs. Um, If you're watching at home and your kids are playing in front of the TV, I'm giving you all a heads up that today we're going to be having conversations. And I want to be clear, I don't plan to be um, crude, I don't plan to be vulgar, I don't plan to be irreverent, but I do plan uh, to be uh, direct and to um, be clear and to be specific. And so while I don't plan to speak irreverently um, or to speak in a crude manner or in a suggestive manner, I do plan to have frank adult conversation about frank adult matters, amen? And so again, if you have not had certain conversations uh, with your kids, I just wanna give you a chance to um, take them on the journey kids. Um, if you chose not to do that today, um, put them in a playroom, turn the stream off altogether, um, and watch back later. Um, you can check out one of our other journey churches. I am the only one who done stepped out on this island by himself this week. So you can check out, uh, if you're streaming, you can check out uh, West County or Tower Grove or South County. I'm the only one out here doing this this Sunday. So if you're streaming at home, just uh, <laughs> feel free. I think I think uh, Jason Aaron's South County preaching on the attributes of God, you know, all kind of stuff, other options out there. But just want to give you a heads up um, as we look to the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at two texts today. We're going to look at our um, anchoring text for this series in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. And we're also going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. And so, I'm going to flip between these two books. If you are using our Pew Bibles, we'll be starting over on page 979 and going over to page 955. 
And if you have your Bibles, would you stand with me or have scripture with me? Let's stand together out of reverence for the word of God. And if you don't, are not able to have it in your own possession, we'll have it on the screens um, so that we can read along. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and this is the reading. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. Let's flip over to 1 Corinthians, page 955, in your pew Bible. And it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take, oh, I'll give you a moment. I hear pages turn. I'm sorry. I had it paper clipped. <laughs> not just naturally that fast. <laughs> all right, y'all there? All right. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Watch this quote again from Genesis 2 and from Ephesians 5. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of a lack of self-control. You know what? I'm actually going to read a few more verses for our singles that I'm going to touch on today and delve into in coming weeks. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let me pray for you. Eternal God, our Father, God, we thank you for the gift of sex and intimacy and marriage. God, you are no prude. Um, God, you thought of this idea and created it. Uh, Father, I pray now that you would teach us and speak to us from your word concerning these sensitive um, and intimate matters, God. Father, help us to know and help us to understand and accept that your discipleship and your training and your covenant with us extends to every aspect of our life, even the most personal and sensitive. So speak today, Holy Spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I want to live for our time today the thought, the intimacy of marriage. I've spoken to you about the mystery of marriage, the ministry of marriage, the dance of marriage today. I simply want to talk to you about the intimacy of marriage. And so you all may have maybe found this out walking in today, maybe found out in an email, um, and you may have just asked yourself a simple question. You may simply say, Carlos, why? Um, 
why do you have to preach on this? Um, why did you choose to? You, you could have just not talked about this. I don't really, we didn't really pay you to, to come and, uh, you know, talk to us about our sex lives or to talk about sex. If I want to do that, I would find myself a sex therapist. Um, you know, we heard you, you know, did some studies and read some books. We didn't know this was one of them. Um, and so let, let me throw out there that um, I'm gonna be honest, you know, preaching through books of the Bible, it's, it's a great concept, right? Um, and when I signed up to preach through Ephesians and we stopped at Ephesians uh, uh, earlier in Ephesians 5, this, this spring, I, I felt really good about where we were until I opened the book back up in May. I'm like, woo, I got a I gotta fall ahead of me. I got to talk about marriage and singleness and sex. And then on the other end, I got parenting, I got slavery. There's a lot of stuff going on here in Ephesians chapter 5. But you may say, Carlos, why do we need to delve into this? Why do I need to jump into my car or tune in via YouTube or Facebook and listen to you talk about this? And this is because um, whether we know it or not or whether we accept it or not, uh, we live in a sexualized culture that's always sending us sexualized messaging. Um, it is just nonstop. It is constantly in our ears, it's before our eyes, it is constantly inundating us. Um, and what's interesting is that these things rarely, if ever, reflect God's thought toward sexuality. Uh, if you know or you interact with any gadget, any device, the person who is going to know it the best is the person who made it. Uh, whatever your gadget, your device, your car, um, the garments that you wear, whatever you have, the person who made it is going to know the most about it. Um, and so when we start thinking about matters of sex and intimacy, I don't think the world should be leading the way, telling us and teaching us and catechizing us on how to interact with our bodies and the bo bodies of those whom we love. Um, that it should be the people of God, there should be the word of God that is teaching us uh, what God has to say about it. But more than anything, not only do I think that, um, you know, the world has a lot to say about it, sex and marriage goes together. Um, contrary to what the world has done to seek to separate, I'm going to talk more about that in a bit, um, but it actually goes together according to God's design. And as I've thought about it, my desire more than anything has actually been pastoral because I spend a lot of time with a lot of people from a variety of backgrounds, from a variety of experiences, and I've yet to meet one yet that does not struggle or have challenges in some way in the area of their sexuality. I've just not met many, um, maybe one human being in my whole life, and I know a lot of people, um, but most people that I know, whether they're married, whether they're single, um, they have issues um, or challenges with the matters of sex. And I want to be clear, I don't just mean the mechanics of it. I don't mean just the act of getting it done. When I say sex, I mean, yes, mechanics is not certainly less than a physical thing, but I mean the emotional, the spiritual, and the residual baggage that affects us holistically when we engage or don't engage, experience or don't experience the matters of sex um, in various ways in our life. Does that make sense? And so when we think of sex, we have to think of it holistically. And I began to think, why... Is it such a challenge? Why is it that I rarely meet someone that has not been touched with brokenness in this area? And I think some of it is because of miseducation. In fact, I think a large piece of it um, is because of miseducation. Now, there's the effect of the fall. Let me be clear. There's the effect of the fall, which I talked to us about in my first sermon around this topic that has turned us all inward. And I'm going to unpack that more. But that inward term also affects us as a society, as a world. And so as a world of people who have been turned inward, not just sexually, but in every conceivable way, we have been miseducated about sex. You know, in the world, I think what's fascinating is that sex and sexuality has been simultaneously cheapened 
and overexalted. And I'm, I'm still trying to work through it and think through how this works, but in one sense, it's actually been cheapened. Um, it's made available everywhere. It's cheap, it's fast, it's exactly how you want it, how you want it, when you want it. It's like Mickey D's. You can get it anytime you want, however you want. You can pull out your phone right now and put a certain word into your Google search engine and unlimited amounts of unbridled sex will pop onto that shiny little computer in your pocket. It's on every corner. Not only that, but through promiscuity, hookup culture, casual sexual encounters, sex in our culture has become entirely non-consequential. What's fascinating is that the culture that has simultaneously devalued, cheapened, mass-commodified sex has also made it to be the thing that we most identify ourselves by with most. That now our sex and our sexuality becomes not only a cheapened, objectified, dehumanizing, and reductionistic experience of both manhood and womanhood, but then it tells us it's the primary way by which we identify ourselves. I was recently talking to a, a parent of a student uh, that's in middle school, a friend of mine, and they were telling me that for their middle school student, the biggest question that those kids are trying to answer is their gender and sexuality as pre-teenagers. That that's the biggest question that's weighing on them that they are wrestling with. And whether we know it or not, what happens, this miseducation, people of God, even though we are the people of God, even though those of us who have heard the gospel have been transformed by God, this reductionistic, dehumanized, skewed, myopic view of men and women that makes them utilities comes with us into our marriages. And so we come into our marriage with strange expectations. We come into our marriages expecting things of our spouse that may not be realistic. We come into our, our, uh, our marriages expecting things of ourselves that may not be realistic. And so this cheapened version of sex and sexuality makes us poorly prepared to interact with a holistic person that is sitting before us with their own trauma, baggage, experiences, and backgrounds that are not just a tool or an image on the screen, and so it makes sex difficult or complex. When we look at this idea that it's become turned inward, you know, Tim Keller has something interesting to say. He said, sex becomes this critical form of, uh, of self-expression in our culture, a way to be yourself, to find yourself. In this view, the individual may wish to use sex within marriage and to build a family, but that ultimately, it's just up to the individual. Sex is primarily for the individual's fulfillment and self-realization, however they choose to use it. And so there's a lot that I could say about this, about the inward term, but here is what I would suggest. I think the fallout and the experiences that people have testify that the sexual revolution has just not delivered on its promises. You know, I've sat with people that have just not denied themselves any partner, escapade, experience. They've done all the things that they wanted with whoever they wanted to do it with, with however many people they wanted to do it with, with looked, as many, looked at as many images uh, virtually and digitally as they want, gone to as many strip cl clubs as their heart desire, and I've yet to tell a person or yet have a person who has experienced that tell me that it fulfilled the hole in their soul. In fact, they tell me the complete opposite, that it's a black hole, a bottomless abyss, that you just want more and more and more, and that at the end of the day, they feel empty, broken, used, and dehumanized. Both men and women have said this to me. I've talked to the biggest players that you've ever met in your life that have gone around having sex with as many women as they could, and they said, brother, it's not the way. 
In fact, I was sitting with one of them players not long ago, and they were saying, like, man, I wish I could have what you have. I was watching this video by, um, I believe it was, a, it was an NBA player, and the brother had talked about how he had slept with over 20,000 women, and he said um, that it's more, I'm like, 20,000 women? I thought Solomon was bad. 20,000? <laughs> like, brother, did you, how did you play, play basketball? What was you doing? <laughs> Like, was this, like, halftime? Like, what was happening? Like, goodness, 20,000? That's too much, man. And the brother said, was actually more beautiful. And, you know, I just think, you know, kind of like Solomon. Some people are like, how Solomon going to tell you about marriage? He had a thousand wives, because he had a thousand wives. He can tell you. I think a brother that's in sub 20,000 women can tell you something. Here's what he said. He said, it's actually more beautiful to make love to one woman 20,000 times than to make love to 20,000 different women. I've not talked to one person who's told me that it's given them life. Many times, the people that we are watching on pornographic videos, on your website of choice, very often, in many cases, um, they're sex trafficked. If they're not sex trafficked, almost all of them has experienced sexual trauma in their life and in their history. Almost all of them are addicted to substances to numb out the effects that sex are intended to have, the feelings of intimacy, bond, and connection, and the emotional weight, and they have to numb it to drug use to keep misusing the product that God has made to work a certain way. Nobody has ever told me that this has fulfilled them. And so, you got miseducation by the world, but not only that, you also have miseducation by the church. The church has not always gotten it right in terms of educating the populaces and the masses on how sex should function. Uh, one of the things that uh, coming into particularly um, churches of the evangelical stream, I discovered this thing called purity culture. Um, it exists in my cultural tradition. It's just, it's called by a different name. It exists differences. They just call it holiness, but it's kind of the same thing. Uh, it's the same thing. These ideas that, um, you know, if you wait for marriage, to have sexual encounters, which you should. That's what the Bible actually teaches you. Um, but if you do that, you're going to have the most, and if you save yourself, you know, and, and then you do the purity balls, right? And, and, and you pledge your virginity to your dad, which is just kind of interesting, but okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, okay. That's what happened, okay? I won't comment further. But you, you, you put on your purity ring and you say, I'm never going to do the thing. And then you do the thing, or some form of the thing, y'all know how it is, you don't do the all the way thing, but you do some of the things that ain't exactly the thing, so you can say you didn't do the thing, but you've been doing things. You're like, y'all know what I'm saying. So I can get married my, with my virginity. Well, you didn't, well, okay, sort of. It's like an asterisk, it's like Barry Bonds, home runs. It's like, yeah, he had the home runs, sort of. Okay, some performing enhancing drugs there. Um, okay. But we do that and then we're weighed down and crushed with guilt because what the church has often said to us is that the absolute worst thing that can ever happen is that you sin in the area of sexuality. Now let's be clear, the Bible does put sexual sin on a different plane, but the unforgivable sin is not sexual sin. And so then, but, but, but not only that, we're told, so we're, we put this weight of guilt on us, but then not only that, then we say stuff like, you know, if you, if you save yourself, if you, if you wait, then you're going to have the most mind-blowing, unbelievable, uncontrolled, like you're going to walk in there the first day and you're going to, you know, you, <laughs> you're going to, and it's going to be, you're going to see heavens open up and it's going to be the best experience of your life, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, Brother Kev on stage, he made a whole song about this. He said that, you know, you go from being uh, Ruth in the streets to Rahab in the sheets, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and if you just save yourself, 
going to blow your mind. And then some of us did that, got married, and the first time was awkward, weird, strange. And you don't like, okay, did we do it? We did it? Okay, that's it. <laughs> did I do it right? Did you? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. What are we doing? Okay. So we've been miseducated. Uh, we're not told that sex and sexuality actually take some effort, that we have to figure each other out. And some, some people do, let's just be honest, some people do get married, um, and they do have tremendous, awesome, explosive sex lives from Jump Street, and praise God for those people. Let God bless you, it's nice to be God's favorite, isn't it? Um, and <laughs> great to be God's favorite. You are blessed, um, highly favored. But what you're also not told about sex, what nobody tells you is that eventually, okay, your body changes. You have a kid. You age. You get a disease that changes how you function. Your health is not what it once used to be. Your nutrition is not what it once used to be. And so now your sexual function changes. How do you deal with one another in that space? Not only that, We've also not dealt with, as we think about sex and sexuality and things of that nature, we've not considered that many of us struggle in the area of sex and sexuality and intimacy because most human beings walking the face of this earth have experienced some form of sexual trauma in this area and needs healing. And the reality is, the reason why we have a hard time connecting with our spouse and dealing with our sexuality um, and walking and dealing with these matters is because we've actually had our autonomy and had our bodies violated in ways that just make it hard for us to connect sexually. I was reading some statistics and it says one in five women have experienced a completed act of sexual violence against their person. One in five, 20%. 81% of women have experienced sexual harassment or assault. That means almost every woman you encounter has somehow been assaulted or harassed in a sexual manner. For men, the statistics are not quite as stark, but they're significant. Nearly 25% of men have experienced some sort of sexual violence. Most of that sexual violence happened to them as children. 43% of men have been sexually harassed or assaulted. Why do I bring this up? Because there is high chances that the person that you're married to, one of you or both of you, have sexual trauma, and it's not even common that many of us have dug in and dealt with it. This is why I'm always talking to you about therapy. This is why I'm always talking to you about mental health work, because almost all of us have been traumatized sexually at some point in our life. And so this expectation that, hey, you love Jesus, you save yourself, you just get in there and it's going to work out and you're going to be all good, it's just not true saints. And so I've laid out all the miseducation, all the lies, not all of them. I tried to give you a high level sampling of them just to kind of categorize it. Um, but what I want to do now is move towards the text, towards what the Bible says about sex and marriage. And I want to be clear, I could preach a whole 20 week sermon series just on sex and sexuality. So what I'm going to give you is high-level view, and I, I, I want to lay out before you the best I can what I believe the scripture is saying. Um, I'm not going to be able to exhaust it. I just need you to know that on the front end. But here's what I, what I need you to do. I need you to commit that as we walk through this, and I'm going to give you some questions um, that you need to do. Please hear me out. You need to do necessary work in your own life and in your marriage to deal with these issues. I'm here to tell you, and I believe in the power of preaching. 
I believe in the transformative power of the word with all my heart. But I also know that sometimes, as the uh, the t-shirt says, sometimes you need Jesus and a therapist. And if there's ever a part of your life where you need Jesus and a therapist, this is it. So I want to challenge us, even as I jump in and start looking at the text, to begin to think about ways that you can further and deepen your exploration of yourself and your spouse and walk together in this area. Amen? Amen. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, but I'm also, I'm actually going to spend the lion's share of my time in 1 Corinthians. And of all the churches to talk about and talk to about sexual issues, the Corinthian church was a funny one um, because they were very confused on matters of sexuality. They had um, issues with every type of sexual sin under the sun. And they swung on pendulums from promiscuity and license. And then they got real deep, like here in 1 Corinthians 7, um, and they started saying, well, shoot, if, if sex is this complex and this messed up and we can't do it how we want to, then it's good for a man not to even touch a woman. Just give up because we can't do what we want. And Paul says, no, that's not exactly what God is saying either. And so Paul roots even his conversation in 1 Corinthians 7 in the quotation of Genesis 2, which he notes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And here's what he says. He says that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The first thought that I want to drop with you and leave with you today is that intimacy in marriage is the seal of the one flesh union. And it's rooted in this text. Intimacy in marriage is the seal of the one flesh union. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave whole fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. And so this verse has been our anchoring verse of this entire series. And so while it has referred to the marriage act and the act of coming together in holy matrimony, the vows and the speaking to one another, the actual act, the actual parabolic acting out and the experience of this one flesh union is the sign and seal of the marriage covenant, which is the sexual act. This is why the sexual act, what happens on the wedding night, um, is called the consummation of the marriage. It's the moment um, while the vows are significant, while the rings mean a lot, while the, uh, the marriage license is the legal document that seals and commits you together. It is the marriage act or the act of consummating the marriage, the sexual act that actually creates the bond. And so this quote is taken from Genesis 2. When God makes, officiates the first marriage union between Adam and Eve, and Adam sees this fine sister that he says is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and this is actually where Etta James got her monumental song from, At Last, because that's what Adam said, At Last. I, I've been watching everybody have a great time. I've been watching the, the, the giraffes and the monkeys and the, the, the dogs and, and the cats, everybody, the fish, frogs, everybody is having a good time, but at last, it's my turn. That's what he says when he sees the sister. At at last, finally, God has blessed me. And so he begins to exclaim, and this is the root of this act, of this parable that images Christ's love for his church, the self-giving of oneself completely, but we must not consider it only physical, but also holistic. Because what the physical is, people of God, is the ultimate expression of what should have already happened, with this, which is the spiritual, the emotional, the mental co-mingling of souls. So that the body, the Bible doesn't actually separate body and soul out as neatly as any of us would like for it to. It actually views them as a holistic unity. So that the body becomes a holistic catch-all for body, soul, and complete unity together. And so according to this text, 
The purpose of marriage is companionship, to give strong help and support, to sanctify and to help one another grow up. The woman is called to be the strong helper of the man and that this act is the ultimate expression of that. It's a holistic integration that isn't just about mechanics and techniques of getting it done, but about body, soul, and spirit. It's also a physical, rea- uh, a physical reminder and an act of giving oneself fully that is actually a renewal ceremony of the marriage act. And so every time you're intimate with your spouse, what you are communicating, even though it may not always seem like it in the moment, is this idea that I'm willing to give myself to you holistically, that I'm withholding nothing from you, that everything that I have, I am giving to you, everything that I am, body, soul, and spirit. And here's the fascinating thing. It happens whether we know it or not, or whether we want it to or not, with whomever we do it with. You see, um, it almost functions, you know, the, um, the, the, the Catholics, they use this Latin phrase referring to sacraments called ex opere operato, which means um, by the work works, referring to how things just happen by virtue of it being done. And sex is one of those things where whether you like them or not, whether you signed up for it or not, whether you really feeling them or not, whether it was good or not, what the Bible actually says is that there's something that happens in this union when you come together physically that causes there to be a co-mingling of souls. This is the whole point that Paul is laying out in this text. You know, as I start to think about this, you know, you start looking at this exclusive marriage covenant. Paul is trying to communicate to us that this is something that shouldn't be toyed with. Let me be clear. The reason why the Bible seeks to limit sex and limit it to a certain context, not limited in the sense of quantity, you can do it as much as you want, however you want, whatever y'all like, in the context of marriage, stopping short of involving other human beings in person or via virtual pornography. Um, sometimes as the pastor, I just sit in my office, I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. People want to know, I'm doing marriage counseling, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? I say, hey, 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 look, we ain't got to get too specific. This is what I'm going to tell you. Whatever y'all want to do, <laughs> whatever y'all like, you only got to explain it, I don't need pictures drawn, none of that. Look, whatever y'all into, you know, hey, hey, that's y'all. Just don't bring nobody else in there in person or via FaceTime, and you're good. Have at it. Let's pray. Session over. That's enough. Okay? Y'all, it would blow your mind some stuff out here. I'd be sitting there like, woo. People wonder why. <laughs> like, like, I gotta go for a long drive. Just like, goodness. Gosh. Dude, don't tell me all that. But <laughs> theater of the mind is powerful. Never look at some of y'all the same. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but the Bible says that there's this powerful sharing. And this is what Paul is getting at um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take it to make it, member, make it a member of a prostitute? He's talking about a cult prostitute, very common during this time, that part of worship, their church services were a little different than ours because when you would go and worship some of these Greco-Roman gods, part of the worship activity was actually that you had intercourse with the male or the female high priest or priestesses, and that was part of the act of worship. And so he says, should, should, I, should I actually uh, uh, take the members? I'm, I'm a member of the church, and I'm going to go and unite myself to the high priest of Diana? May, may it never be. May, may God forbid. And then he invokes the one flesh union. And he says, don't you know that when you are joined to a prostitute, you become one flesh? Don't you know that whether you meant it that way or not, whether you felt like it or not, when you unite with that man that you met on that dating app, that you are not one flesh? 
I'm telling you, I'm just old school. I believe them old saints were right when they talked about soul ties. Can't, I know, folks, I've seen whole things and new generation saying soul ties ain't nothing. That's because we're drinking way too much of the Kool-Aid that this society is filling us. Look at the state of your heart. Talk to anybody that has had a lot of sexual partners, both male and female, and they'll talk about how their heart is fragmented. Brothers, we don't get away scot-free. We think we do. We think we get away scot-free, that we can go out here and we can do what we want, who we want, how we want, and that it don't bother us, that's her problem. Listen, first of all, I have seen too many brothers that had too many sexual experiences, whether in person or with their cell phone on Pornhub, who sit and can't even be aroused by their own spouse because she's either not a digital image or not the girl that they used to mess with that did stuff that their wife won't do. And so we, none of us get away with an unbroken heart because we're not meant to. And the only way that we can get away with an unbroken heart is if we steal ourselves to the effects. But here's the problem with stealing ourselves to the emotional, emotional and the spiritual effects of sexual sin. You can't control how hardened you get. You can't control how distant you get so that when you come to your spouse, now all of a sudden you've steeled yourself against connection and wonder why you can't connect to them. Well, because you've spent a lot of time out in the streets and you've had to distance yourself from the effects. And now you're married, and guess what you're doing? You're putting your walls up. You're not responding. You're unable to respond. And so this marriage covenant is exclusive. You know, as I, as I begin to think about the exclusivity and the preciousness of this, and that's what the Bible tells us. Don't, don't just go out here giving it out because it's more powerful than you think and it affects you deeper than you think and the world is lying to you telling you that it's just like eating and drinking and that it won't bother anything the world has shown itself to be a liar in that regard it's just not true y'all it's just a lie and some of us have tried it have believed it and our hearts are broken as a result and we're struggling it's not benign it has its effects you know, as I began to think about this exclusiveness and this preciousness, you know, it made me <laughs> think about something. Um, when Monique and I, uh, just a few months ago in August, we had, uh, we, we had uh, celebrated our 15th year anniversary, and so I had reached out uh, to some of my sisters that, uh, you know, I wanted to buy something really nice. Amen. Thank you. I had reached out to some of my sisters in Christ that I know are fashion forward and like to spend a lot of money on, on fashion. I told y'all my love language is giving gifts. Um, I, this is before I knew that she, and, she preferred acts of service, but now I know. Next, next year for our anniversary, I'm mopping the floor. But anyway, uh, <laughs> gotcha. Like, you know, but anyway, what'd you give me? What'd you give for me for, my, for our anniversary? Wash dishes. That's what you want, acts of service. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> vacuum. It's great. But anyway, uh, this is where I knew all that. So I was like, hey, man, I'm going to spend a lot of money on her for this anniversary. Um, and so I hit up one of my sisters in Christ who she's known for just having the dopest purses that I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so she's always real passion forward. So I hit her up like, hey, um, I want to buy my wife a nice bag. Um, and she, what are some brands? I don't know what the brands are. And so she gave me a bunch of lists and different ones and was telling me prices. I was like, dang, word, you paying all that for a bag? You can just get, you can get a bag from Aldi for like 10 cents. You ain't got to do all that. Um, I know a bag costs so much. But anyway, start looking. But I was like, all right, man, I'm finna, I'm finna do a real big 15-year anniversary. I'm finna spend that bread. Um, and so I had heard one that she didn't have on the list, but I had heard, I'm being honest, I heard like rappers talk about it, was a Birkin bag. And so I was like, Birkin bag. Um, I know, y'all, not know. If you ever want to know how poor you are, I learned that day, like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, 
I said, I'm going to buy my wife a Birkin bag. And I, I, Googled, <laughs> so I Googled it, man. I'm not making this up. I Googled it. Oh, like, $30,000. I'm like, so I got, I got to make a choice. Either we're going to have a house or you're going to have this purse. Can we live in it? Like, what are we going to do? So needless to say, I went to the coach outlet and took it. <laughs> get Birkin. <clears throat> took myself out to Chesterfield to the outlets. But uh, <laughs> I was like, okay. But I did my research and I found out, this, this is what I learned about Birkin. At first I learned, out, learned that, you know, I got to hit the Powerball to get one of these things. Um, but what I also learned is that you can't just buy one. That you, you, can't, you can't just order a Birkin bag online. Um, you can't even just go into the store, to the Hermes store, and see one on display. They don't even put them on display. They, you, you don't like actually get to just buy one at all. You can apply to buy one, but normally there's a wait list of about three to five years, and, and if you're worthy, they will invite you to buy a bag of their choosing. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, this ain't even color I want. This is what you're getting. And I, I found out that when you go, you have to go to one of the airman stores somewhere in the country, and they don't have you off from, they take you to the back. This is how they do it. I'm not making this up. They take you to the back, they, sh they serve you champagne. And then they bring you out one bag, maybe two, and you either take it or leave it. And I'm like, what, what type, of, what type of, the, of experience is this? I found out that the bags are, they're handmade by an artisan that has to train with Hermes at least five years before they're ever allowed to make one. That they make an undisclosed amount of them and they're extremely rare and precious. You see, they're so expensive because you can only get one. They don't just hand them out on every corner. And, and, and I figured out that the people at Hermes, I was like, I don't know if they know it, um, but they've been reading their Bible because... <laughs> When we think about ourselves and our sexuality, son and daughter of God, you're not meant to be giving it out on every corner. <clears throat> Your sexuality is precious precisely because you're one of a kind. The way God made you, the way you experience your sex and sexuality, the way you enjoy your sex and se sexuality shouldn't be for purchase online on OnlyFans. You shouldn't be sending nudes of yourself. It shouldn't be just for anybody who take you out on a date and give you a nice dinner or don't even do that. It should be something reserved for the one person that has covenanted with you within the area of marriage that that is a place where you can safely be completely vulnerable and transparent with who you are. And so... You shouldn't be, it shouldn't be easy to get. You shouldn't just be giving it out. The problem is, is that the culture has told us that it should be cheap, free, and easy. This is also the same culture that gives us obesity, diabetes, and fast food. Nothing should really be that cheap, easy, and without consequence. Nothing that is, is ever good for you. And so, now, you know, I've been talking to married people and talking about what sex is with a marriage. I know the singles are sitting here like, Okay, fine. Know what you finna tell us? Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> sounds sounds glorious. Don't do it. It's like you know, uh, like you know, and 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 you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says you know, if you ain't married yet, shouldn't be getting it in. Um, so I know you guys are like, thanks. We thanks. We appreciate that. Big news. Big revelation from the Spirit. We had no idea. <laughs> But let me, let me speak to the singles a little more for a moment, because um, I want to speak to the idea first um, of your sexual desire. And let me say this. Um, you're actually supposed to have it. That your sexual desire is not innately sinful. 
you should have desire for sex because God made you that way. Um, some of us have so demonized our own desire for sex uh, that we repent for just having a desire. You are supposed to have a sex drive, yeah, especially if you're with someone that you care about. It's not crazy um, that you are with somebody that you love and care about, that you have a relationship with, um, and you actually feel a desire for them. That's how it is supposed to work. That is completely normal and without sin. It's when we begin to act on it at the wrong time and outside of the context of marriage that it becomes uh, problematic and becomes troublesome. Uh, but here, here's the reality. Um, some of us, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm with somebody um, and, and, you know, I get it and I'm trying to honor God. Uh, but can I also be real? The idea of waiting till you're married is terrifying precisely um, because we're like, yo, we want to try it before we buy it, right? Um, don't y'all look at me like, I'm the only one who thought that as a Christian. You're like, fine, I'll take it. You're like, you're like, yo, okay, so you telling me, you like Jesus, Jesus, Bible, pastor, preacher, random Christian websites, you telling me that you want to commit, want me to commit the rest of my life to this person, and I can't take them on a test drive first. I do that before I buy a Volkswagen. I just gotta go jump in and just pray for the best and hope it all works out and commit the rest of my life to a person, let's just be honest, that may not satisfy me sexually. We just may not click sexually. That's okay, you ain't gotta say amen. I know that's what we're thinking. Some of us are thinking <laughs> amen <laughs> and wrestling with that. And yo, that's like, can I say this? I just wanna validate some stuff. That is super valid and not crazy. Um, that you should be thinking about that, that that matters. Um, because our sexual experience is profoundly personal it's profoundly intimate, and it's the ultimate outward expression of our commitment to another person, and we should care um, whether or not it works out between us and them sexually. Um, but you're like, Lois, you just told me that there's like some probability that I could get to my first uh, marriage night, and it may not work out. Um, let, me, let, me, let me throw this at you real quick. For those people who are like, why shouldn't I try it before I buy it? Um, because that seems to make sense. That's why so many of us cohabitate, right? Um, let's cohabitate because we can test drive this marriage thing. The problem is, I already told you, that the statistics are that the people who cohabitate before marriage has a, a much statistically significant higher probability of actually divorcing, so it doesn't work. So why shouldn't we do the same thing with sex? I'm just throwing these couple things at you. We know the Bible's ethic. I'm just trying to give you some rationale. Here's one reason. So let's say you try it before you buy it, right? And like blows your socks off, right? You have never, ever, ever experienced nothing like this in your life. You've seen the heavens open up and the Son of Man descend upon the clouds and your eyes rolled in the back of your head, toes curled. You ain't never felt nothing like this. This is the best thing you ever experienced. You're like, okay, what's wrong with that? That sounds incredible. We'd love to experience that. Why is that a problem? Here's why it can be problematic, child of God, because if you're not careful, the way sex works and the way it's supposed to work, and the way your brain chemistry works, is that it's gonna stir up affections and connection to that person that you're experiencing, and if you're not careful, that may not actually be the person that God has for you, but because you have a phenomenal sexual and physical chemistry, you may think that you actually have a spiritual and a soul and an emotional and a mental connection as well, and it will disrupt your discernment. And so what you end up with, and, and some of us have experienced this, you end up in a relationship where you have dope sex, but there's nothing else there. 
where this person can gratify you and please you like nobody else in the world, but there is no emotional connection, there's no spiritual connection, there's no mental connection, y'all don't support each other, there's no life direction together, y'all just getting it in. And what you know, and if you've lived long enough, you may have experienced and found this out, that good sex is not enough of a foundation to build a robust relationship upon. <clears throat> so, it, you might want to hold out so that your discernment can be clear. You might want to hold out so that you can see, do we really have a spiritual connection? Do we really have an emotional connection? Can we really connect to one another and actually live out this thing called life together? The primary function, while sex is the primary expression of the one flesh union, it is not the foundation of the one sex union in the sense that it's ever meant to be the only thing that undergirds it. And so, there's that. Here's the other side. You may go ahead and say, hey, I'm gonna take this thing on a test drive before we get married. So you try it and it's awful. And you're like, well, that was terrible. That was disappointing. Um, I don't think I'm gonna do that for the next 50 years. Uh, <laughs> and so if you're not careful, what you'll do is there'll be a person that you're a good spiritual, mental, emotional connection with, but because the physical spark wasn't there, and here's the reality, because of some of the challenges that I just laid out, there's a strong possibility that you have to learn each other physically. That you have to figure out what actually, you, you know, we, again, we decommodified it, right? So it should be cheap, fast, and good, and knock our socks off at the click of a button, and that is profoundly unnatural. You see, what the marriage covenant does is actually give us safety in which we can express ourselves sexually and give us time to actually figure one another out. So that the idea, so that the idea is that sex in year five or year 10 or year 15 is perhaps better than it was in year one because now you know your partner better if you're listening. You know your partner's body better if you're paying attention and you know how to please them and pleasure them in ways that you didn't know in year one. And so, if you're not careful, if you try it before you buy it, you'll be to dump the one that's actually for you, that actually can help you grow as the person that God is calling you to be, the one that can actually help sanctify you, because while the mental, spiritual, and emotional connection was there, you short-circuited the time and effort that it would take, and people of God, it takes effort and intentionality and communication and openness and honesty to actually experience the higher levels of sexual gratification, but you short-circuited it, and as, a, uh, and as a result, you short-circuited the one that God had for you. So, here's why, that's, those are a couple of reasons why I think you should, should wait. Um, because what they do at the end of the day is they turn sex into an audition, right? Um, sex becomes an audition. And if you do it real good, I might give you a shot. If you make me feel good, I might give you a shot. And if not, then, then I cut you off. And that's not what it's supposed to be. There's this verse that comes after the, you're now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Um, there's a verse that comes after it says, they were naked and not ashamed. That's Genesis 2, 25. And that nakedness just didn't have to do with clothing. It actually had to do with vulnerability and openness. It's not supposed to be an audition. It's not supposed to be a theatrical performance. If you've ever had to perform in front of a group of people, you know the last thing that it is, while it can feel vulnerable and exposing, you're not fully yourself. In fact, you're wearing a mask. You're putting on a show. And it's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be a self-giving. It's supposed to be an experience of vulnerability and the ultimate, the apex of exposing oneself and taking and giving with one another in complete openness and honesty. But when it becomes an audition, that literally becomes impossible.
So to my single friends, those are three reasons why I actually suggest you listen to the scriptures on this and just hold out. Trust God. Y'all know that whole thing, I, I trust Jesus. That don't just mean the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That means in every area of your life. What Jesus is saying to us singles, and here's the reality, some of us married folks who are not actually sexually pure in our marriages, uh, what God is saying to us is, will you trust me with your sexuality? Will you trust me with your body? Do you actually believe that my way is better, that my way is the right approach, that if you hang out with me, that I will give you all the structure, all the support that you need to actually experience the fulfillment that I've laid out for you? And so, that was a long first thought. The other two are a little quicker. Um, but the idea is that intimacy in marriage is the seal of the one flesh union. As I move right along, the next thing that I want to share with you all is that intimacy in marriage prioritizes giving over receiving. I'm in 1 Corinthians 7. Look at what Paul says. It says the husband, this is 1 Corinthians 7, 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. This is the very essence um, of a healthy sexual life within a context of marriage, that you give to one another um, your conjugal rights, that you give of yourself to one another. Now, what's, what's uh, absolutely groundbreaking here is that Paul pushes against this idea that the Bible is super patriarchal and that it only exalts men. It's, I mean, this verse literally crushes that because Paul says the man should give to his wife her conjugal rights, but also the wife to her husband. That is mutual, that both men and women have a responsibility, one, to give of themselves and to satisfy one another sexually. Let me be clear, the Bible is not prudish on sex. God thought about it, he gives it to us on the first page, and the way that it works and the stuff that you enjoy, he made it work like that. You think, you, you know, God didn't thought about some things. I'll just leave it at that. I won't say more. Um, <clears throat> but here's the reality. Here's the operative word that Paul uses here. Give. The sex act, the, marriage, the act of sex and marriage, is about giving to one another. And as I already told you, it's that our culture has turned that act inward. So this is all about receiving. It's about getting. Um, it's about making sure that you get yours and make sure that you are satisfied. Um, and this is truer in my experience. Um, this is actually often more true for men than it is for women. Um, it's not exclusive, but it's often more true for men than it is for women. But our women are being catechized by the culture. You know, there are whole books written by people that had multiple failed marriages that say things like, think like a man. In other words, learn to objectify and look out for yourself the way men do which itself is problematic. First of all, you're a woman. Think like a woman. Um, but not only that, but not only that, what it's actually seeking to do is to reinforce toxic and unhelpful pathologies that's actually crept into manhood because of the way our culture has socialized us around sexuality. You see, what the scripture lays out is that we should seek to satisfy one another. Um, Tim Keller, the guy who you expect to have lots of great thoughts about sex, just you would just expect Tim Keller to be a sex guru. Here's what he says about it. It's uh, <laughs> exactly the guy you want telling me about this. Uh, says each partner in marriage is to be most concerned not with getting sexual pleasure, but with giving it. In short, the greatest sexual pleasure should be the pleasure of seeing your spouse getting pleasure. When you get to the place where you're giving, where giving arousal is the most arousing thing, you are actually practicing this principle. And so he says you should give, but as I've already said, much of our culture is socializing us around just getting, um, just receiving. And much of this is because of the way pornography works in our culture. 
The reality is, is that when you look at most pornography um, in this culture, it has presented women as objects. They're objects for male gratification. Um, they prioritize the male orgasm. This is compounded by the fact that it's just focusing on the man and it dehumanizes her so much so that some brothers in here um, are actually acting out their pornographic fantasies upon their wives rather than being intimate with their spouse. And so what ends up happening is that your spouse is just a mechanism for, for acting out all the stuff you've been looking at in private. And so you're not actually making love to her. You're making love to her body, kind of thinking about it. But you're really thinking about all the stuff you've been looking at all week. The reality is, is that as a result, <clears throat> we're not actually giving. And the truth of the matter is, here's the truth of the matter. Um, what pornography does um, is actually just causes premature ejaculation. There's an uptick, statistically, in young men having erectile dysfunction because of, because of an overuse of pornography and because their brain chemistry has been wired not to connect to their spouse, but to connect to their hand and to the click and the dopamine rush of searching for different images. And this is just science, people of God. This isn't even, this, this is just raw research. And so we're not able to give to our spouse or even know how to prioritize and give to our spouse because we've been socialized by a culture that tells us it's all about getting and we reinforce that through our sinful habits that's driving a wedge in between our sexual lives with our spouse. And so giving that is actually outward focused takes effort. It takes time to push, it up, to push out those images. The same thing happens for our sisters though because of what I just told you. The world is telling you that if a man can't do for you what you want to be done, do it yourself or get you a little robot that'll do it for you. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, is that your husband doesn't have batteries. That he's a whole, I'm just keeping it fun. I told you I don't have the kids in here. That, that he's a whole human being with his own sets of sexual complications that he may not always just be ready at the drop of the hat, that he may have some health challenges that he's working through that's making it harder for him to function, that he may be under stress at his job, anxious because of trying to perform and please you, just totally wore out from life in general, and this stereotype that men are just always ready to go. Some guys are, but some guys are not. And so our sisters are told that, I ah, just bypass him, go ahead and get this, buy this, take care of yourself, and you know, because here's the reality, our sisters are looking at porn too. And so because your man ain't like some of them dudes you're looking at and can't do some of the things that you are experiencing, you're doing the same thing to your husband that many men do to women, and as a result, we are breaking the covenant with one another. It's men and women. But what the word says is that we give to one another. And remember I told you the sexual um, union, the sexual expression, the one flesh union of man and woman is just the apex of giving. That means it has to start before then. Remember I told you it's mental, it's spiritual, it's emotional. That means that the foreplay doesn't just start in the bedroom. Fellas, the foreplay actually starts, eh, men and women, when you compliment each other, affirm one another, Practice one another's love language, encourage one another, care for one another, pour into one another. It doesn't just start in the bedroom. And so, I probably say it more than any of us want to hear about this topic. <laughs> but I've shared with you about intimacy in marriage, that is the seal of the one flesh union. 
The intimacy of marriage prioritizes giving over receiving. You're supposed to be seeking to please your partner, not just get yours. And then lastly, intimacy in marriage is the apex of mutual submission. Look at verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You know, last week... Um, I talked quite a bit about submission and mutual submission. Sorry about that. Water went down the wrong place. Um, But you heard me talk about submission and mutual submission last week and how submission is not just something um, that happens in a space for the wife, but that it happens for the man as well. In this text, Paul is explicit. He says, the wife does not have power over her own body. Now, That should be, I want to be clear about that, that just doesn't mean um, that she has no authority of her body. Um, What Paul is saying is that when you become married, the one flesh union means that another person has something to say about every aspect of your life, including your body. The world would have expected that to happen because it was a patriarchal culture. Nobody expected the second verse. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So that now there's this mutual submission in marriage where the husband submits his needs to the wife, that the wife submits herself, um, and that in this total union, you actually walk together, and it gives you the freedom to give to one another. So if sex is about giving, then verse 5 doesn't become super problematic. Do not deprive one another, um, except for by a certain time. If sex is primarily a gift that you give, not something that you do to receive just to get your rocks off and all that stuff, if it's something that you give and your primary focus is giving and not just receiving, then there are times when you may not be in the mood, male or female, and you are willing to give yourself for the sake of your partner. Now, many of us have heard this verse applied primarily to women, as I have. Most of the time, it's like, look, sister, you know, don't deprive your husband. You know, you got you to give it up. Don't matter how you feel, you got to do it. <clears throat> and Lord forbid, us as husbands have used this to pressure our wife into sex, right? Have started quoting the Bible, and some of us have. Girl, I know your head hurt, but let me, let me, let's have Bible study. I, the Lord then laid on my heart, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, <laughs> verse 5, Jesus. Lord, then I was just in my prayer closet this morning. <laughs> the Lord spoke this word, 1 Corinthians 7. Brother's going to be running around here with 1 Corinthians 7 tattoos on it. <laughs> they used to get Psalms, now they get Corinthians tattooed. Okay. Don't deprive one another. But there is a space, and I just want to be clear. There is a space where, you know, sometimes that, It's like, man, you don't feel like it, male or female, because sometimes the one who's denying sexual activity is actually the man, right? There are times when this is the reality where, brother, you you just got to figure it out, and I'm going to take it another further while I'm out here, and I don't know what I'm preaching about this again, so I might as well say it. If the primary function is giving and not depriving your wife, if you're not pleasing your wife, you need to take some steps to figure out why and how. Um, If your wife ain't satisfied... If your wife is not experiencing sexual pleasure or she's just faking it to make it to make you finish up and get done, then it's time for you to have some conversations. And sisters, you should help them in a gentle, loving way. But I'm just going to be real. Sexual pleasure takes communication. If you don't talk about it, it ain't going to be better. And and, and if you've been married a while and it ain't working, you should be able to have a loving, honest conversation where you sit down and say, you know what? 
It ain't, it ain't working. Take into account why. In gentleness and mutual submission and figure out what to do. Brother, do you need to change your diet? Do you need to get back in the gym? Do you need to talk to your doctor? Do you need to lay off the fast food and all that stuff? Do you need to put your phone down and pay attention to your wife and stop looking at objectionable content on social media and on other websites? Have you listened to her body? Have you experienced it? You see, this not depriving one another is not just saying, women, it's time for y'all to give it up so your husband can be satisfied. It also puts weight on us, brothers. Are you doing what you need to do to make sure that your wife is actually satisfied? And so, this may mean talk to some brothers, learn some techniques and things like that. The rabbis, I, the Talmud is a very funny book to read, but the rabbis were like gloves off about it. Like, hey, you need to be doing it, bro. Like, them rabbis did not play. I had to close up the Talmud. I said, Lord, Jesus. <laughs> I read the Talmud, read them rabbis. Had, had, I was looking for a new port. Like, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> they, was telling, they was giving instruction. Them rabbis give you a lot of instruction about a lot of stuff. I'm like, woo. I didn't know the Torah said all this. <laughs> but here's the point. We should seek to give mutually. And brothers, for all, us, what that means is that there are times when our wives may deny, and sisters, I just want to be honest, sisters and brothers, that we need to push through that sometimes. But there are also times when mutual submission means that maybe your wife isn't feeling like it because she's ill. She just had a baby. She just ain't, her body ain't feeling right right now. Maybe she just isn't in a space to do that. And so mutual submission looks like actually putting your desires under self-control. And it can go both ways, men and women, to make sure that the spouse is loved. But however, whatever we do, this picture of mutual submission, caring for one another, again, marriage is supposed to be a safe space where these things can operate. It's not supposed to be given out. These are conversations that you have within yourself. And so ultimately, I'm done. As we think about sex, intimacy, and all these things, I told you I wouldn't exhaust it. There's a lot more to be said that I didn't say. But ultimately, what the sexual union experience does is it reminds us of our oneness with Christ, our union with him, which is the ultimate self-giving of oneself. When we think about what sex is and all of his vulnerability, it actually images an uh, intra-Trinitarian relationship that the Father, Son, and Spirit is entirely, completely together on one accord in complete bliss and rapture together. And God invites us into this love and union. This is why the book of Song of Solomon has so long by the church been read as an example of Christ's love for the church. Because it is actually so life-giving, so much going on in terms of eroticism in the church. And sometimes we're like, whoa, this is a lot. But the picture is this. You are totally, holistically given over to one another. There's nothing more totally and holistically life-giving than Jesus' death on the cross. Where he gives his body to be broken for us. And then he says, this parable of marriage images that, where you give yourself to one another, the husband in the parable functioning as Christ, the wife functioning as the church, where you give of yourselves holy husbands, and wives receive and are nourished by their husbands, and you mutually give together body, soul, and spirit. And sex is a picture and a parable of that. So the question is, will we respond to that call? Will we allow our view of sex and sexuality to be elevated to the level of what Christ has said and what he has done. And so, as we get ready to go, got your homework for this week. Here it is. I'm gonna start with the couples this week. Here's your homework. This question is to be considered privately first by yourself, one-on-one, and then discuss 
with your spouse and only with your spouse. I want to challenge y'all. Some of y'all might be skittish around this. I want to challenge you to lean in, especially if you want your sex life to improve. It ain't going to improve if you don't talk about it. So I think y'all should talk about it. Here's the question that you ask your spouse. Which aspects of our love life have been the most pleasurable? Talk about it. In what ways can we deepen and grow in our intimacy and pleasing of one another? Which aspects of our love life have been the most pleasurable? Answer that individually. In what ways can we deepen and grow in our intimacy and pleasing of one another? I would encourage you all to have this in the safety of your marriage and don't get defensive. The defensiveness won't help you. Be open, be honest, be gentle, be kind, as Christians should be, but have this conversation in context of your marriage. From a single family, this question is for personal reflection. Discussion with a trusted friend, mentor, accountability partner is also encouraged. How have you been doing managing your sexual desires if you're unmarried? When do you find it easier to manage these desires? When does it become more challenging to manage them? How have you been managing your sexual desires if you're single? When do you find it easier to manage these desires? When does it become more challenging to manage them? I would encourage you, answer that on your own, but if you got a friend, a group of friends, or a mentor, an accountability partner that's helping you um, in areas of purity with this, to talk to them about this. If you're looking for these questions, if you didn't quite catch them on the screen, they're in the app, the Church Center app. Click on the Journey Hanley Road. Click on this Sunday. You'll see my points from this sermon and these questions. But God is calling us to himself to commend all these things to him. Let me pray for us during this time. Eternal God, our Father, God, you have made us a sexual beings. You're not prudish. You're not scared. You're not nervous. You're not even shocked by some of the stuff we do with it. You're not confused. You know how we function. You know what our desires are, God. In many ways, you made us that way. In other ways, it's maybe a little distorted, but you understand why we are who we are. Father, I pray for grace. God, I pray first for our couples. God, some of whom may be having great sex lives, and this may just be an affirmation of all the things they've been doing right, God. May they continue to be blessed and flourish in this area of their marriage. For others, this is difficult. Perhaps it's been an area of struggle and difficulty for the entirety of their marriage. Father, I pray that you would allow this message, this sermon, these thoughts, your word ultimately, to be the start of healing in this space for them. Grant them wholeness, healing, and shalom. Father, I also pray for our singles. God, who also struggle in this area. Father, some of them may be living lives of purity, they may be glorifying you in, your, in their body and are patiently waiting for the spouses you have for them and are just experiencing victory in this area. God, I thank you for them. God, for others, this is a day-to-day -day struggle. For some of them, even if they are experiencing purity and power in this area, it is it's just barely happening or maybe white knuckling. Father, I pray that you would grant them grace, that you grant them wisdom as they date, grant them discretion as they figure out who you're calling them to. God, give them direction. Help them. Be with them. God, remind them that ultimately they are your bride that you are their husband, that you receive them, and that regardless of what happens or what doesn't happen, that you love them and have given yourself for them, and that ultimately, even with a spouse, is the love of Christ that will ultimately satisfy. Be with your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church 
or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.